0: the internet where would we be without it today 24 7 news and sports updates streaming movies order stuff anytime you want it's designed to be robust to withstand nuclear war yet for a couple times in history parts of the internet have actually gone down such as the distributed denial-of-service attack that occurred in 2016. Here's CNBC about the targeted denial of service attack.
1: Throughout the day, it has been affecting internet traffic up and down the East Coast in particular. Take a look at this list of companies that have been affected so far today. The earlier attack began at about 7 a.m. East Coast time. Amazon, Cloud Services, Netflix, Twitter, and Spotify all reporting that they were having difficulty with internet access today. The company that is being attacked is called Dyne. They provide, among other things, domain name services, and they say the original attack this morning was mitigated and customer service was restored. They said just a few minutes ago, we are currently mitigating a second attack. We also have a statement here from the Department of Homeland Security, which says uh, we're aware and investigating all potential causes. So no information at this point, guys, exactly who is behind this uh, massive denial of service attack on internet service up and down the East Coast of the United States, but clearly uh, a targeted effort beginning with a pulse in the morning and now a pulse here in the mid-afternoon and we'll see what happens throughout the rest of the day today, guys.
0: Dyne was an internet performance management and web application security company that has since been bought by Oracle. Taking out Dyn would therefore impact many services, and that's what happened. To do this, it's estimated that the distributed denial of service attack had an attack strength of 1.2 terabits per second. That would make this denial of service attack roughly twice as powerful as any similar previously recorded ddos attack at the time what if i told you that this forceful distributed denial of service attack wasn't from a compromised set of computers it was from thousands of compromised internet of things enabled devices such as surveillance cameras residential gateways internet connected printers and even in-home baby monitors these devices themselves are often thought of as not having much in the way of resources and really they don't have many computing resources But when you start to link thousands and thousands of compromised devices together into what's called a botnet, and then orchestrate that botnet to fire on a single target, the results can be massive enough to bring down parts of the internet. Welcome to The Hacker Mind, an original podcast from For All Secure. It's about challenging our expectations about the people who hack for a living. I'm Robert Vimosi, and in this episode, I'm digging deeper into those IoT botnets. And I'm going to talk to two researchers who are looking at creative ways to defend against IoT malware. And a key piece of that puzzle is finding and stopping what's known as the command and control server, or the CNCs behind those botnets. There are a couple ways to address the botnet problem, to prevent attacks such as the one on Dyne. One is to attack the compromised computers themselves to block or remove the actual malware. But after more than 20 years, the anti-malware approach clearly isn't working. We still have malware. We still have botnets. And what if you then had thousands and thousands of mindless devices, not computers? as part of your botnet. How are you gonna put anti-malware on that, let alone even update those devices? Clearly, there needs to be another approach. So I reached out to two researchers from the University of California at Riverside. They spoke at Black Hat USA 2021, where they launched a new tool to find IoT-based CNC servers.
2: This is Ali. I'm a fourth year PhD candidate uh, at the University of California, Riverside.
0: My name is
3: Ahmad Darkey and i recently graduated from the university of california riverside with a phd and thank you for having us
0: it's probably good to start with how all this works malware gets installed on a computer or in this case a device and it can be done a number of different ways from a phishing attack to a direct install with The Internet of Things, it's possible to scan the IPv4 range and identify devices that are out there. Then, because it's the Internet of Things and it's still young and security is often thought of as an afterthought, it's possible to do credential stuffing, which means you simply supply a username and password, often baked into the firmware, to get access to these devices. Boom! Now you've just installed your malware on thousands and thousands of devices worldwide. But you're not done.
3: So imagine a malware is something like a Swiss knife. It has a lot of functionality. It has a lot of things inside of it. But you need to eventually try to get the knife or the scissors, something like that, to get out and start working. And then imagine that the person that can handle that, uh, like, you know, Swiss Army knife. is a a very, you know, specific person. Like it, it has a fingerprint or something like that for them to start working with that Swiss Army knife.
0: So if a small piece of malware can be made to do a variety of different things, what determines that? After the malware is installed, it calls out to an internet address. This is what's known as a command and control server. And this is what tells the malware what to do. The thing is that the CNC server is the one
3: that will uh connect with that malware and tells it that hey start this communication or start doing this malicious activity Uh, these are the functions that are built in within the malware and the cnc server is the one that is uh you know asking it to do this now do function a the do function b so that's how uh how the cnc server plays a bigger role in the life cycle of the malware telling it like what to do These are the steps and yeah. Such a process is slow.
2: Uh, Now the attack by itself wouldn't, you know, happen just after the infection, right? So you might have some IoT devices that are infected uh, by the malware, but they don't, you know, perform the DDoS attack. When you're talking about malware, usually, not always, but usually there's a server uh, command and control server that gives the commands to the malware to do the malicious stuff on the victim system. Uh, These are really the keys to the battle against the malware. If we know where these command and control servers or in short CNC's located, then uh, defending would be as easy as blocking the traffic from those addresses. And in this research, we are trying to uh, provide a tool and also a general approach that gives us the opportunity to find uh, live CNC servers. The DDoS attack or DOS attack happens when the CNC command and control server sends the command to the malware and says, okay, this is the address I want you to DOS it, you know, uh, take it down. And uh, as 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 I mentioned, if you know what this address is, you just block the traffic, that's it. You know, there would not be any DOS attack and the, uh, the target would be uh, safe. On the other hand, if you block the traffic from the CNC server, you might not be infected in the first place, right? Because there wouldn't be any traffic and there's a good chance that the malware, the file wouldn't, you know, to your network and infect your malware.
0: So the malware is deposited on the compromised computer or device. It then calls out to further instructions. In this case, of a botnet, the CNC server is used to focus all of these compromised devices on a single target and then start flooding it with requests.
2: Maybe we can provide an example. So for instance, in our case, uh, we are targeting IoT malware. And in case of IoT malware, one of the uh, very destructive things that can happen is uh, denial of service or uh, DOS attacks. Uh, It happened in 2016, and uh, major service providers like then were out, and then the result was uh, GitHub uh, was unavailable for some time. We thought about it, and we found that a key here that is missing is knowing the command and control servers because uh, the IoT devices on themselves don't have enough processing power, you know, to provide the security. You know, you cannot go ahead and insult an antivirus on the IoT device. They, They don't have enough processing power.
0: So far we've heard about the Mirai botnet, the malware that was used to shut down Dyn and subsequently significant parts of the internet. Where did Mirai come from, in one word? Gaming. Mirai, which is named for the Japanese word, the future, was first seen before Dyn attack in September of 2016, when security journalist Brian Krebs' website, Krebs on Security, was hit with a massive DDoS attack of about 62 gigabits per second. A few days later, The French web host, OVH, was hit with a one terabyte per second attack. One thing you don't want to do is piss off a writer. Krebs, whose own site was down for four days, started looking for a cause behind these attacks. And that's when the source code for Mirai IoT botnet was released to the public. Okay, why would a criminal hacker make the source code public? Well, there are a lot of theories. Often this is done because the code no longer has street value, which clearly doesn't make sense in this case, since it was used a month later. Well, sometimes the author wants to make the origin more ambiguous by simply saying, I got it off the internet. Clever. However, source code has fingerprints, meaning you can see how it was cobbled together. And over time, Krebs was able to trace parts of the source code back to other earlier IoT
3: botnet families. So in 2014, that's when my advisor told me like, hey, we never thought about securing home routers, have we? And that's when I was, there. then I decided to read if there are papers on that. And I never heard anyone talking about that. And then when, when we started looking, at the time there was uh, uh, you know malware button, it was called Gafget. Um, But it wasn't as successful in infecting a lot of devices because it wasn't, Um, as insane in propagation as it is with uh, Mirai.
0: Gafget was one of the early botnets meant for targeted purposes. So the ability to propagate from one device to another, well, that wasn't really mature. So
3: there were things happening, you know, for, for a long time, I guess, since like 2009, I guess, was the first ones that came for IoT. But with Mirai, it got crazy. With, uh, with the speed that it can infect devices. And also there's another factor to it that there are a lot more IoT devices integrated with our everyday life. So we see a lot more devices, more opportunity for the attackers to infect them.
0: So what might have nudged these middle-level IoT botnets into the big time?
2: And there, there's always this, uh, I call it money factor, right? There might be a threat right but there's not enough incentives for attackers you know uh exploit it right but when you can monetize it right that's when you actually see the effect right you can see the damage that they could uh do it was the same thing with ransomware it was the same thing with iot malware you know ddas attack at some point become you know money making
0: That's something that Krebs discovered. He found that these early botnets were used by a group operating under the name Lados to launch a series of large sustained DDoS attacks around one target, Minecraft. Minecraft is a multiplayer online game. Never played it? Well, think of it more like digital Legos. You manipulate colored blocks to build something pretty amazing, and I mean really amazing, such as rendering the entire University of California at Berkeley campus online. And recently, Reporters Without Borders created a Minecraft anti-censorship library full of censored books, actual texts that can be read from around the world as kind of a lost library of Alexandria. So there's lots of cool stuff being done with Minecraft today, but to do all that requires some pretty serious hosting services. You need to rent servers that can handle the load of your particular world. And while you can't sell stuff directly within Minecraft, you can sell server services. And this is how people are making money off of Minecraft. Some of these server services can make up to 50 a month. Problem is, there are a lot of server services on the market today. So... How do you make your new server service stand out among the crowd? Uptime. Apparently the Lidos group would go and target rival servers with DDoS campaigns. By denying the services long enough, serious gamers would then leave those services and go somewhere else. Preferably to a server service where Lidos had a stake. Another way to make money off of Minecraft. Selling anti-DDoS services. What if both the attacks and the defenses were being sold by the very same company? This is where the story gets interesting. The online entity that released the Mirai botnet and attacked Krebs on security and Dyn used the name Anna Senpai. Well, social media posts to hacker forums with Anna Senpai actively attacked anybody using Qbot and suggested instead that a bot killer should remove any instance of Qbot from the server. One such company, ProTraff, advertised itself as protecting these Minecraft server services from Qbot denial-of-service attacks. According to Krebs, the self-admitted author of Qbot, also known as Bashlight, was someone named Josiah White, who happens to run ProTraff. And White had at least one other partner at Protraf, a 20-year-old named Ferris Cha. As Krebs put it, like firemen getting paid to put out the fires they started, Cha and White would target organizations with DDoS attacks, and then extort them for money to call off the attacks or sell those company services they claimed would uniquely help fend off these attacks.
2: I remember I, I was reading the uh, post that the author of Mirai Malloran, uh he published the source code, was writing that he made millions out of it, right? Uh, he made the money, oh, yeah, you know, yeah. just, just, just by launching DDoS attacks, right? Yeah. So it, if, uh, I think it, key, you know, here is uh, it's not actually that the threat is not there, right? At any point for any threat, I guess. It's one of the key things is that can attackers monetize it, right? And if they can, then you can see the damage that they could do.
0: Krebs started looking through other social media sites. He noted what little was known about Anna Senpai was very similar to what was publicly known about Ferris Shah, ja, as is the case with another poster on Reddit, someone named DreadIsCool, is Cool, who posted his like of Japanese anime, one anime series in particular. Its name? Marai Nikki. There's another curious angle to the story as well. Dreda School noted on Reddit that Rutgers University in New Jersey had been suffering through various DDoS attacks, suggesting that they too needed to get some anti-DDoS protection. That's important because Ja happened to be a computer science student at Rutgers at the time. And remember, he happened to work with White at the anti-DDoS company Protrap. Okay, that was no coincidence. Ja Dropped out of Rutgers and never actually completed a degree. It turns out he was arrested for using Mirai to stage various DDoS attacks, including the Dyne attack. Yah ja is one of the original authors of the Mirai botnet, along with White and a third person, Dalton Norman. And in September of 2018, they each were sentenced to five years probation. 2,500 hours of community service and ordered to pay $127,000 in restitution for the damage caused by their malware. In other words, they got off really easy. I mean, seriously, they knocked out the internet service on the East Coast for a series of hours and they only paid $127,000 each? But if the Mirai case was light, the Rutgers case was heavy. In its sentencing memo, the U.S. government said that, Ja. Yeah, reveled in the uproar caused by the first attack, which he launched to delay an upperclassman registration for an advanced computer science class he really wanted to take. The second attack was launched to delay his calculus exam. And the last two attacks, they were motivated in part by publicity and outrage. That's a total of four DDoS attacks against the university system. And for that, Ja didn't get off so easily. In October of 2018, the U.S. government revealed guilty pleas in the Rutgers investigation, and Yah was sentenced to 2,500 hours of community service, six months of home confinement, and for repeatedly using Mirai to take down internet services at Rutgers, Yah was ordered to pay $8.6 in restitution.
2: Finally, you know, law enforcement and several other uh, authorities to affirmative action to take down some well-known buttons. And one of the you know, key enablers is there are these you know uh, servers, command and control servers, right? And it is still, I mean, uh, we worked on this for a while, but it's still, when I think about it, it gets me excited, right? If you mm-hmm. imagine that you can you know, have a map of the world and you have uh, you know, insight on where all the CNC servers are located. Right then it's just you know the matter of uh taking the decision, right you have the power of taking down the botnet. if you're law enforcement, it's just easy you know it's you have the power you know where they are located, just take it down right, and on the other hand, it also uh kinda allows uh the law enforcement to get a better insight on who are behind these you know attacks mm-hmm. we have some evidence that some of these you know uh malware samples they are different malware samples but probably the same actors are behind uh these uh, malware samples right so it's not you know a lot of work probably if you take down a few you know uh teams or individuals uh probably the problem, at least for now, would be solved.
0: With the source code out there in the wild, Mirai continues even if its authors have been caught. There was, for example, a variant of Mirai in the fall of 2019 that went after Android TVs.
2: a version of uh GapKit Mirai right it's just it's a variant you know some people classify it as Mirai some people as GapKit it was targeting uh Android TV right and the reason again there are lots of Android TVs out there and uh, the number of IoT devices are growing every year every month right so you would see more you know endpoints uh, that are vulnerable you know could be your potential targets
0: part of it is that the barrier to entry for criminals is low. I mean if the source code for IOT botnets is available and in many cases its CNC servers are out there just waiting for a signal well, how easy is that? The thing is we're not aware of most of those CRC servers and how many of them are alive We don't exactly know where they are but the botnets deep in their source code. They know exactly where those CNC servers reside. Yeah, that's the that's the fascinating thing about this IoT
3: malware. You know, this is like it's super easy to work with them. You get the source code; it's available. Everyone can find it. You can get them. You can modify it a little bit, and then you release it to the wild. And within hours, you can recruit as many as thousands of IoT devices in the wild. The thing about these ones is that they Uh, the source code of these IoT malware. It also provides you with the CNC server too. So like the source code of the CNC server exists. The only thing that is up to you to do is to find the free IP address to deploy the CNC server there, or uh, in some cases do a DGA or uh, register a domain for it. So it
0: continues to exist. So what did Ali and Ahmed start with? Well, very little. As academics, as independent security researchers, not backed by a large anti-malware company, they had access to some malware binaries, access to some IP blacklists, and they had partial information about the malware communication itself. What they didn't have was access to the network traffic or access to the antivirus company's sensors. That's the, that's the thing about this uh, you know, line of work. There wasn't,
3: at the time when we started working on IoT malware, there wasn't basically 2014 or 15, there wasn't any tool that will allow you to do analysis in these, um, you know, IoT malware. Like everyone knows, Windows, Linux malware, there are so many online services, cloud-based services, I can't help you with that. But what motivates us to think about coming up with a systematic solution, coming up with something that we can think that it doesn't matter what is the malware, we're going to get it to start executing, regardless of whatever target it is trying to hit. And, but when it comes to IoT, we can, we can get it to start talking, we can get it
0: to start executing and communicate with the CNC server. The way Ali and Ahmed ultimately decided to do this was by activating the IoT malware. This means they actually executed the IoT malware and let it communicate with the outside world. Then they use a person-in-the-middle technique to redirect the CNC traffic to some candidate addresses that they've created.
2: We do have a tool, it's open source, and we fully automated every piece of the tool. So what you need is only, you know, a malware sample. And if you want to use it in the uh, second mode that we provide, that is scanning, you know, IP addresses, you don't even need to have a very recent malware sample. It could be an old sample, and that was the other, you know, part of uh, why we did this work. We wanted to, you know, be able to use old malware samples that are out there, weaponize them, and then search for CNC servers. But our solution, you know, we we come, we have academic background, and for us, it's you know the generic method, you know, the solution, right? We provide a solution, it's an algorithm, you know, an approach. Uh, It works, you know, it doesn't really depend on every single, you know, line of code that we have or modules that we implemented. You can take the approach, you know, integrate it with your own dynamic analysis system or malware analysis system that you have in place. But uh, we also provided a tool. So it prototypes uh, the approach that we have And as I said, it's fully automated.
0: The CNC Hunter has two parts. The first being the sandbox, which contains and runs the malware.
3: Going a little bit into details of how the sandbox and the profile module would look like. So in this project, we're using KMU. Uh, KMU enables um, emulating uh, uh, some of the not common CPU architectures like MIPS, PowerPC, or MIPSL. Um, so this is something that we chose to go with. Um, and then we are, uh, we are attaching kernel to it so that we will have a kidney running. And then we will also attach file system to it. This will allow us to have uh, some sort of a recording and snapshotting of whatever uh, the malware is doing and recording its you know, a system called traces um, and so on and so forth. We also uh, attach a tap device to the, uh, to KMU so that we can redirect the traffic to the proxy that uh, later we will get into. And tap device would also allow us to um, uh, do a recording of network traffic.
0: The second part is the man in the middle module, which intercepts the communication with the CNC server.
2: The goal of uh, the man in the middle component, MITM component, is to redirect the CNC traffic to candidate addresses. As we mentioned a few times, these candidate addresses are inputs, right? We suspect that they are hosting CNC uh, servers. The man in the middle is IP based here, and uh, we are going to tap the traffic and also provide internet for the sandbox, right? Uh, so we are actually man in the middle in the real traffic that goes to internet.
0: As we mentioned, obtaining the malware samples isn't too hard.
2: There are many malware repositories uh, that allow you to see what malware are active in the wild right now, this day, this moment, and uh, we observe that usually, Mirai it's a very old malware family, the one responsible for the DDoS attack that I mentioned against major service providers, is still one of the most seen malware samples in the wild. right? You have, just like a virus, just like, for instance, COVID-19, you would see variants, you would see uh, mutations, but it's still, you know, MIRAI malware. And this shows that uh, after five years That we first saw Mirai malware, the current solutions, you know, the defenses that we have in place are not working as we want.
0: Again, this is why Ali and Ahmed didn't put much faith in the devices. They looked to the network instead.
2: If you know what this address is, you just block the traffic, that's it. You know, there would not be any DOS attack and the the target would be uh, safe. On the other hand, if you block the traffic from the CNC server, you might not be infected in the first place, right? Because there wouldn't be any traffic and there's a good chance that the malware, the file wouldn't you know, come to your network and infect your malware.
0: One of the challenges with IoT is that we want devices to communicate over the network. But in doing so, we're not building in security often. If anything, we're kludging old protocols and shunting them into small, outdated chipsets.
2: What we saw at Liz, uh for the past couple of years is that uh, for IoT still, it's a growing industry. And you would have vendors that just came to the market, right? Security mm-hmm. is their last concern. It's not like they can't secure it it's that they don't want to, or it's not their priority. And then when you uh, look at the uh, endpoints or the users, they don't have the knowledge, probably they can't. So then that's where the network perimeter would be important. And that's why we were motivated to do this work because at network perimeter, you have the will, you have the, you know, power, you have the knowledge. Just, you know, for instance, uh, one of the things that Uh, could happen, we want to see it, is that ISPs take more action, right? If they have good intelligence, right? If they know where the CNC servers are located, and if the intelligence is timely, then they can, you know, block the traffic, and hopefully they can secure all the nodes that are within their network.
0: The devices themselves are becoming less and less expensive, yay. But would you rather upgrade the firmware on a toothbrush? Probably not. If you play that out across your entire home, what are you going to do? Like, take a whole Saturday morning once a month and go through all of your IoT devices and make sure they're up and running the latest and greatest firmware? Yeah, probably not. Conversely, if you think that that $40 toothbrush is even generating an update, and the software to begin with that's probably not true either
3: yeah that's the thing like when you are thinking about iot and then iot ecosystem right now there is not going to be a silver bullet of you know update to get all the iot devices in the world updated so this but vulnerab- these vulnerabilities don't exist anymore so that they don't get exploited our choice right now is to take down their you know servers right now let's just take those down and get rid of them so that we can stop the spread and uh,
0: be a better way of defense, I guess. And consumer devices like smart TVs or the internet-enabled toothbrushes—they provide a vast
2: landscape. With the commercial IoT devices, you have a larger, you know, group of victims that you can target. This allows you to, you know, earn the monetization that we just talked about earn more money, you know, just because you're, if you are talking about DDoS attacks, you have more butts in your control, you know, so it would be the attack would be more powerful. So you go after those, right? And there's also the uh, chance of, you know, having more. uh, The thing is, if the number of, you know, your targets are more, even if the security mechanism uh, mechanisms improve, Still you would have a large a good chance of having a large number of uh, vulnerable devices right but if you're targeting for instance industrial IOt devices uh, just because the number probably would be less, then you have you know a less chance of kind of having the same number of buttons
0: For now, at least, the world of IoT is the wild, wild west, and nobody's really building in security. So techniques like what Ali and Ahmed came up with are pretty brilliant. You know, even
3: it's, I want to say economically, it's not really of interest to to the industry to come up with this uh, updating mechanism and do an updating for them, because these are very cheap devices comparably. And they're like, okay, if your device is broken, go buy the same one for like $10, something like that. So it's not really, they're not really interested to come up with a solution that people will keep the device forever, right? I'm, I always think that the case, even, even if they, even the industry decides to update these devices, I think the bugs will continue becoming more and more complicated. Instead of exploiting what, what we call it an end-day uh, type of vulnerability, they will come up with exploiting zero-day vulnerabilities to exploit as many devices as they can. And I think, I think the ball cannot be in their court. It should be like uh, Ali said it. It should be up to like ISB or law enforcement to contain these uh, botnets.
0: I'd really like to thank Ali and Ahmed for talking with me about their project. Gartner is estimating that there will be over 65 billion IoT devices connected worldwide by the year 2025. Since these devices are small, even disposable in some cases, it doesn't make sense to focus on securing each and every one of them. Rather, flipping the model on its head and looking at the network side, the CNC servers that exploit the IoT malware seems like a more viable solution. By focusing on the CNC servers, law enforcement can, for example, shut down the more aggressive ones and perhaps even start to identify the actors responsible for them. But at a very least, we can also lock down our networks and block the CNC servers from connecting with infected devices that we may control. It's interesting stuff. Let's keep this conversation going. DM me at Robert Vimosi on Twitter, or join me on subreddit or Discord. You can find the deets at thehackermine.com. The Hacker Mine is brought to you every two weeks, commercial-free, by For All Secure. For The Hacker Mine, I remain your friendly neighborhood, command and control server, Robert Vimosi.